I, I want to encourage you in something. You can't get what God's saying in one time of listening to these messages. I don't teach one simple point and spend 20 minutes saying it over and over again. The way my mind works, I break things down. I did that as a lawyer. I've always done that. I think in outlines. And there's a lot that's contained in these messages. And, And I'm saying that because I want to encourage you to listen to them. One of the things that came out of this survey is how few people actually listen to these messages afterwards. Because we asked a question about, do you listen to the messages afterwards by CD or by podcast? And it was a pretty close breakdown, but it was less than half the people that answered the survey that said they listened to it at all. I I don't know how you can grow that way. I listen to things all the time. And from time to time, I listen to my own messages. And the reason I listen to my own messages is there's things I didn't hear when I said them. Not only that, when I hear them, I relive some of the things that the Spirit of God was showing to me. I mean, Nick tells me all the time of things he's been listening to as he's got a job where he has to drive a lot in the car or a truck, whatever it is, and he listens all the time. When I looked in Worcester and I lived down here, it was an hour back and forth. I listened all the time and I grew. And one of the things I regretted, the only thing I regretted when I didn't have that hour drive, was I didn't have the time in the car to listen to these things. And so this is so important. I encourage you. We have it available. I mean, you can buy the CDs. They're not expensive. They're three bucks. But they're on podcast free. We have no excuse. And if you don't know how to use a podcast, anybody, ask any kid. <laughs> It's free. I listen to it at night in bed if I wake up. Praise the Lord. Have you had time to find Philippians 3? There's a section of Scripture in here that's kind of a model for where I believe God has us going this year. And I don't want to really break that down just yet. But Paul talks about his own testimony here. Talks about what he's gone through and how he, he, he had to, in order to know Christ... He had to let go of some things. And what he had to let go of is the things he put his confidence in. You know, what we've seen is we all, in our growing up, we've all built confidence in certain things about ourselves, especially when it comes to our confidence before God and with each other. It's called a self-image. It's called a self-image. And what is your image based on? We've talked about that before. And we went over things Paul's image was based on. His image was based in part upon his, his upbringing, his background. His, 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 he was a Jew. He was raised as a Jew. He wasn't a proselyte. He was of a tribe that was considered one of the, one of the top tribes. And he was, a, he was a, a member of the Pharisees. And he was an elite person. So he talks about his education. He talks about his heritage. Then he talks about his intentions, his zeal. And then he talks about his righteousness, how well, how good a believer he was. And we talked about, you know, if we're not careful, and we will do this even if we are careful, is we begin to have either confidence in those things or we lack confidence because we think we fall short in those areas. In either case, we're basing our confidence before God in something about us. And Paul said, I had to trade that in. I had to trade that in if I was really going to know him. If I was really going to serve him and walk with him, I had to trade in my old self-image and what it was based on and trade it for an image that was in him, that I may know him. I count all things as loss, that I may know him, for the surpassing value 
of knowing Christ Jesus. So there's a trade you have to make. If you're really going to know him, and that's what he's calling us to this year. If you're really going, you can come to church, you can go to heaven, you can be a Christian and know about him, believe in him, but not really know him. I mean, like, I know my wife and she knows me. Better, you can know him better than that because it's purely spirit to spirit. And it's up to you how well you know him. He's holding nothing back. He's come to live in you and says, I'm here. You can have as much of me as you want. And this is what we'll be talking about during the year. And Paul says, I learned the secret. I I traded in everything I based my confidence in for the surpassing. In the Greek it says the far surpassing value of knowing him. Of knowing him. And then he talks about the struggle that he went through. And he says here in, um, in verse 12, he says, not that I've already attained it or I'm already, already perfected. That means completed or arrived. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus lay hold of me. We talked about that before. And brethren, I don't count myself as already apprehending it or arriving. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. We talked about that the first time. And reaching forward to that lies ahead, I press toward the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. And last week we began to look at what is that upward call. Well, first of all, it's a call. And we talked about that. It's a call. You don't call yourself. He calls you. And Pastor Kurt several weeks ago did a great job of explaining the difference between hearing the call and accepting the call. And so it's a call. We are called by Him. But the call is upward. It's upward. We began to look last time at what does that mean? We went over to Romans 8 and we saw that, the, that, that, that whom, he, whom he foreknew, these he called to be conformed to the image of his son. So God called you, not just to save you so that you don't have to go to hell and can go to heaven. God justified you by taking your sin paying for it on the cross so that he could legally give you his righteousness. But he didn't give you his righteousness just so you could be righteous. He gave you his righteousness so that he could put his nature in you. And he put his nature in you so you could be his child. And his goal was to not leave you as a child, but to mature you into the image of of Christ. And we looked at scriptures last week in Philippians says, for it's God who is at work in you. It still rolls around in me. It's God who's at work in you. God is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And then we looked at what some of that is. We went into Galatians 5:22 and we looked at the fruit of the spirit. That's just Jesus's character. We talked about the fact that so many times people's consciousness of others and of themselves is in their talent, in their gifting, and their anointing. But God's not so concerned about talent, gifting, and anointing. He's concerned about character. More people fail in ministry because they're gifted, talented, and anointed, but they don't have the character of Christ in them. And the character of Christ is what we're going to really begin to look at today. 
Because most people in ministry, well, that's an overgeneralization, that's too much. Many people in ministry that are gifted and talented, especially when you get into music and worship and intercessory prayer and in preaching, because these are things that are very spiritual contact. People begin to get a confidence in what they see. If you ever get to that point, read, I've forgotten which chapter it is, where in one chapter, Peter, Jesus, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's neat, Peter. You didn't see that on your own. My Father revealed that to you. And Peter went, whoa. Whoa. I prophesied to Jesus. And then a few verses later, Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem to die. And Peter forbids him to go. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because the same spiritual sensitivity that helped Peter hear the voice of God that's telling who Christ is had the same spiritual sensitivity to hear the voice of Satan and he couldn't tell the difference because Peter had not yet developed spiritual character. We could end right there. So God is far more concerned about developing character in us, the character of Christ in us. He could take somebody with no talent, no anointing, and use them far more if they've got godly character. Because God's the one that produces through us. Jesus himself, I don't know why we're going in this direction this morning. Jesus himself had to be tested. Read Luke chapter 4. Once he was filled with the Spirit, the first thing the Holy Spirit did was lead him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Why? Because God was now wearing flesh. And flesh has its issues. Have you noticed that during the fast? Flesh has its issues. And his flesh was different than ours, but it was still flesh. And he had to, he had to learn. The Bible says he learned obedience in, in Hebrews chapter 5. He learned obedience by the things he went through. Well, if he had to learn them, if he had to develop. And then we looked at Romans chapter 12. Let's go there. Because this is what we're going to pick up with today. Romans chapter 12. I did a whole course on this. I've done it a number of times. And my family's been after me to write a book on this, which I probably will. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect or complete will of God. Two big words there. Do not be conformed. That word means to take pressure from the outside and make you look on the outside something that's different than what you are on the inside. It's like a metal press that molds something, that forces it to look like something different on the outside so it appears to be something. The word transformed is to take what's on the inside and work it to the outside. Which is why Paul writes in Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God at work in you. 
both to will and do. And, but how do you do this? So what this is talking about is the way God's going to take the nature of Christ that he put in you when you were born again and get that to the outside is not by fasting and prayer. They're, they're tools to use, but it's by changing how you think. I was listening to one teacher this week, and actually it's out of a, a well-known book, Christ the Healer, that's, that says that when you're saved, one of the first things God wants, expects you to do is to change how you think. Change how you think. Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so is he. So how do you think? However you think, that's what you're like. That's not your nature, but that's what shows up on the outside. So as the old expression goes, we need to get rid of stinking thinking. So how do we do this? What is it? What is... So we ended last week by saying, okay, that if we're to learn to think, how are we learned to think? What's the pattern? And we looked at Philippians where it says, we are to have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. So let's go to Philippians chapter 2 again. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Now, I'm, if, they can, if they did it, I think we did it. They're going to read this through. A, 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 this is a new translation that's been out in the last year or so called the Passion Translation. It's not actually a word-for-word translation. It's kind of like the New Living Translation, but there's more passion in it. And, but I want to read something out of the New King James. They, they may not have this up here. First, uh, Philippians 2, verse... Well, verse 3. Let's start, put, put the, the, one, the one I gave you up here. Be free from pride-filled opinions. Now, we're talking about how we think. This is how we'll learn to think. Be free from pride-filled opinions. That means opinions about yourself. For they will only harm, look at this, your cherished unity. When all I'm concerned about is how it affects me, that divides us. And this is where Satan works so hard in a church as we get to think about how something affects me. Or what does this mean about me? Or why did they get this position? Or who gives him a right to think that? You need to read, read back. I don't want to go there. I won't take too much time. Read about Moses' brother and sister and what happened when they did that. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. But in authentic, real humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Verse 4. Abandon every display of selfishness, possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. Do you have any idea how a church would change if people actually did that? What's going to be interesting is the first Sunday we have one service. Some of you already know where I'm going. And you arrive, and someone's sitting in your chair. See, you don't have to get too theological to start applying this. It literally, it literally affects us where we see. Sit. (laughs) 
Well, they'll have the same issue. They'll think you're sitting. So it all depends on who gets it well, first. Well, anyway, we're there. Verse 5. Now, in the, in the New King James, in the King James, this is where I want It says, have this mind in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is telling us to do is to have this pattern of thinking, this mindset. Have this mind in you. Think this way. So this is what we're talking about, the mind of Christ. So often people, and there's other verses that talk about the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ, which means I can understand everything Christ could understand. Yeah, that may be great, but start by thinking the way he thought. Thought by, start by thinking the way he thought. And we're going to see how he thought. It's challenging. Consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, set before us. And let this mindset become your motivation. Verse 6. He existed in the form of God, because he was God, yet gave no thought to seizing equality with God as some prize. So he, he was God, but he did not take, a, didn't enter into his thinking to hold on to his position. We'll see why in a minute. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. Wow. At Christmas time, we talked a little bit about this. He didn't just come as a servant to the earth. He came as a baby, carried in a teenager's womb, and birthed, not in the inn, not in a palace which he deserved to be birthed in, but in a stable, and placed in a feeding trough. He willingly chose to do that. This is his mindset. To come to the lowest place. Instead, he emptied himself out and became human. Now that's hard for us to really relate to since that's all we've ever been. But he was God. God never gets tired. Never gets discouraged. Never gets weary. Never sleeps. He never slumbers. He can be everywhere at all times and know everything all at once. And now God, one-third of God, could only be in one place at one time. He had to eat. He had to sleep. This may shock you. He had to go to the bathroom. He was human. He had to deal with his flesh. Now, his flesh wasn't didn't have the tendency to sin that yours has in mind, but it was still flesh. And the Bible says he was tempted in all ways as you and I are, yet he did not sin. What an amazing step down. Verse 8. He humbled himself. Notice he did these things to himself. This was his choice. 
This was his mindset. That's what we're looking at. He became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death, by crucifixion. At Easter time, which will obviously be coming up in a few months, we spend time talking about and meditating about the suffering he went through. And the term that's used for that is the passion of Christ. There was a movie a number of years ago Mel Gibson did. Why was it called a passion? It was his passion for you and me. It wasn't his passion to suffer. And the humiliation that he went through, the physical suffering and torment that he went through, it's unbelievable. Isaiah, in describing him ahead of time, said his face was so marred, it was beyond recognition as a human. Let alone the spiritual suffering he went through, because the first time in all of his existence, he was separated from the presence of the Father. And then facing him was a confrontation with Satan in hell. He was mocked, he was spit on. His flesh was put to the ultimate test. And the words that came out of his mouth was, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Wow. Wow. Because his mindset had nothing to do with him. There's a verse in John when he's talking about to his disciples and preparing him that he's leaving. He said, Satan could find nothing in me. Satan could find nothing in Jesus about Jesus. And he tried. He tried to appeal to pride. This was when the temptation. He tried to appeal to his ambition. He tried to appeal to his good intentions. But he could find nothing in Jesus because Jesus' total mindset is I've given everything up for you who deserve nothing but death. Have this mind in you that also was in Christ Jesus. A criminal's death by crucifixion. Crucifixion is the, most, is the most horrible death ever imagined by man. Developed by the Phoenicians. We may talk about this at Easter time. It normally took two to three days for someone to die on a cross. Verse 9. We don't have time to dwell there. Because of that obedience... God has exalted him and multiplied his greatness. Has, he has now been given the greatest of names. You know, we talk about the name of Jesus, but he earned that name. He earned that name by humbling himself. So as he humbled himself, God exalted him. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything, everyone will one day submit to his name in the heavenly realm, the earthly realm, and the demonic realm. Verse 11, and every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his Father. So the mindset of Jesus is this. Though he had every right because of who he is to come and demand worship. Just think about this. God coming to the earth in a form that now could be seen. 
He had every right to come in all his glory and majesty and demand every knee to bow. Demand everyone to obey him. Demand obedience. He had every right to do that. But where would that have left us? We'd still be lost. We'd still be destined because of our rebellion. So the only way, the only way that he could redeem us was for him to come and take our place. An innocent lamb to be viciously slaughtered to pay for you and me in our unrighteousness, in our rebellion, in our pride. This mindset was that I give up what I have so that you can have what I have. Imagine that. Ever think about this? When he got back into heaven, that's where he started out. He didn't gain anything by going through this process except he gained you and me. The mindset. All that he thought about in all that suffering was you and me. Death he, get, he experienced that we might have life. That's the mindset of God. That's the mindset of love. And that's what Satan could not understand. The Bible says that Satan, if he understood what was happening, he would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Because it was in, the, it was in crucifying him that Satan was defeated and lost his power. Because that kind of love cannot be comprehended by selfishness. Because selfishness only looks out for self. But it's that kind of selfless love, that kind of giving up of self, that kind of dying to self that allows God to birth life in those that don't deserve it. And that was his mindset. Have this mind in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. He came as the humblest of servants. He took on himself the rejection, shame, and judgment we deserved. And he took no thought for himself, was only motivated by what we needed, not what we deserve. And as a result, God has highly exalted him. Matthew chapter 11, very familiar verses about rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all you that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stay there a second. Most of the time when we look at this, we're looking at physical rest or maybe emotional rest or spiritual rest. But I want to show you what the real rest is he's talking about here. All those are true. Verse 29. How do we get this rest by coming to him? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So Jesus said, if you want to enter into this rest, you've got to learn something from me. And what is it? I am gentle. That word actually means meek. And lowly in heart, which means I'm not concerned about me. The rest that he offers here is when you begin to think the way he thinks. And you're no longer concerned about yourself. You, we'll talk about this down the road. You literally die to yourself. And there's rest in that. Because everything you struggle with, 
everything I struggle with, every frustration, everything that worries me, ultimately is traced back to something about me. Even with your children, you're worried about your children, ultimately that stems back to you. What kind of job you've done as a parent, you know, how it affects you, even because I love them, it hurts me, it's all you. It's all you. This last year, we did a series on Wednesday night. We showed a series by Andy Stanley on relationships. And he says, the root of all conflict, and it's always there, is I'm not getting what I wanted. I may be entitled to it, but I'm upset at you because I'm not getting what I wanted. And that's at its root, self. So Jesus said, you want my rest? Here's how I got my rest. I gave up myself. So I was only concerned for you. And you will find rest for your souls. All right, now how, how do we apply this to our lives? We're going to have to kind of go through this quickly. Matthew chapter 5 through 7. We're not going to go through all that. But let's go to Matthew 5. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And in this, Jesus is announcing to his disciples, because it's really only preached to them. Jesus is announcing to his disciples the attitude of heaven towards issues that we run across in our lives. And this is a mindset. But this now will talk in terms of our relationships with each other and circumstances around us. And this is challenging. I'm not going to go through all of it, but we're going to break it down. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? If then it's good for nothing, but if it's thrown out and trampled underfoot by men, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. What he's talking about here is what's being put in you needs to shine out into the world. The world needs to see what I've put in you. But it's put in a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16. Let your light so shine forth before men that they may see your good works. And as a result, what? Glorify your Father in heaven, because they will see me in you. And that's the tone he's setting here. Let's go to verse uh, 21. He's going to deal with certain issues that we all deal with in one form or another. Here he's going to deal with, with anger. You've heard it said that those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is in danger of judgment. That was under the law. But I say to you, whoever is angry at his brother without cause is in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Rocker, that's calling him a name, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. And go your way and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift to me, your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary should deliver you to judgment. What he's talking about there is the standard is not what you do outwardly. The standard is what's going on in your heart. And he equates anger with your brother. Now, we're not, not, not talking about something that flares up in you, something you're holding on to as murder. I'd never murder. You're holding a grudge against somebody? In Jesus' mindset, that's murder. It's breaking a relationship 
that's part of the body of Christ. It's like taking a finger and separating it from a hand. It's division. It brings death to a part of his body. And this is his mindset. We're, our mindset is we're so concerned with who's right. I, but the problem is that I'm right. Great. Jesus is not concerned with who's right. He wants us to be right about things. He's more concerned with the love we have for one another. Because you're being right may cause somebody else to stumble. We've got to move on. Let's go to verse um, 27. This gets even better. Now he deals with lust. L-U-S-T. You've heard it said before of old, this is under the law, you shall not commit with your body adultery. That's right. <laughs> go back a second. Actually, we don't know that that's right anymore, do we? In our society. I mean, I just kind of, we kind of assume everybody knows it's, it's wrong to commit adultery. I'm not sure everybody assumes that anymore. Well, it's what everybody does. It's sin! It's sin! That got over well. Verse 28, was going to get better. But I say to you, this is how I think, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. Now, he's not talking about, you can't control the thoughts that come into your mind, but you choose whether they stay there and what you do with them. So one of the devil's techniques is to give you some lustful thought and then climb on your back and whisper in your ear, what kind of Christian are you? You just committed adultery in your heart. You might as well go out and do it with your body. No, no, no. But what Jesus is talking about, it's what you allow in your heart. Because the physical adultery started in the heart. That went over big too. All right, we better move on. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you if one of your members perish than that your whole body should be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body should be cast into hell. He's talking about being drastic with yourself. Recognizing what this does to you. One of the things that doctors, one of the treatments doctors do for cancer, if there's not some other treatments, they cut it out. Because they know what that cancer cell is going to do. If they don't get it out of your body, it's going to spread and eventually it will kill you. Sin is more deadly. So what he's saying is whatever it takes to get it out, do it. Because we kind of downplay, well, you know, it's, I, I'm just human. It'll kill you. Let alone what it does to others around you. All right, we better move on. Verse 33. Each of these gets better. <laughs> He's talking about your word, keeping your word. You've heard it said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths. Because back in those days, you could say something, but if you really meant it, you would give an oath. And in court now, they, you know, they've always done this. They make you 
they make you give an oath. Because they say, I don't trust what you're going to say, but if you give an oath and you violate it, you go to jail, called perjury. But I say to you, verse 34, don't swear at all either by heaven or by God's throne, nor by the earth or by his footstool or by Jerusalem or by the city of the great king. You shall not swear by your head, because what they would do is they'd swear by some... People say, well, I'm going to swear by my mother's grave. That's the same kind of thing. Verse, the answer is in verse 37. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than that is of the evil one. In other words, speak truth. Don't lie. And you know who we lie the most to? Ourselves. Well, I'm going to do that. No, you don't mean that at all. Verse 38. This deals with retaliation. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that seems right. Somebody does something to you, we do it back to them. After all, they need to learn a lesson, Pastor. But I tell you, resist an evil... That's not what you're concerned with. I tell you, resist an... Do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That troubles a lot of people. If anyone wants to sue you to take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, from him who wants to borrow from you, and do not turn away. What he's talking about there is every one of those responses is taking care of myself. Somebody, somebody says something to me, I'm going to get back at them. Somebody does something to me, I want to get back at them. Somebody slaps me, I'm going to slap him right back. So he's not saying you have to be a doormat. But every one of these responses is something standing... You've got to stand up for yourself. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't stand up for himself? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't stand up for himself and say, wait a minute, this isn't right. I shouldn't go to the cross. I've not done anything wrong. You turkeys, you're the one that did it, and you're the reason I'm even down here. What if he stood up for himself? Where would we be? But because he did not stand up for himself in that situation, it allowed God to redeem. And this is where we miss so many times. If you'll just... Put yourself aside. God may be able to redeem some terrible person through you. Because you didn't react the way everybody else reacts. Jesse Duplantis tells a story about a woman that invited him to her house because she was famous for her chicken gumbo or something. And he got a taste of it and it was the worst thing he'd ever tasted and he noticed that the husband and the f- son's not eating. They're watching him. And she comes over and he's saying, Lord, what am I going to say? And he says, don't lie. And the woman says, is that good? And the Lord says, don't you lie. <laughs> you know, Jesse, he said, man, this is the worst stuff I've ever eaten. And she looks shocked. The husband stands up. I trust you. You're the first preacher we've had in here that's told her the truth. So you don't know what God might do when you don't stand up for yourself and let God work through you. We've got to move on. Have this mind in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And this is the best one of all, verse 43. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Why? So that you may be, your, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. How do you deal with your enemies? You love them. You love them. Romans says you overcome evil with good. This is the mind of Christ. And as we begin to think this way and apply this in our lives, we begin to mature, allow Christ in us to mature through us and we prove or display what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's one more point I want to make. We're not going to have a chance to go through all the scriptures. So these are the way he thought in relationships. The other way Jesus thought that we want to talk about today is Jesus thought in terms of eternity. Have this mind in you. He saw everything in terms of eternity. He saw people in terms of eternity. He saw money in terms of eternity. The scriptures I have here, we're not going to go to them, are Matthew 6. He talks about where's your treasure. Don't build up for yourself treasures on earth, but build up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and, and worms won't destroy. And then he goes on and talks about worry and the things of this life we spend so much of our energy worrying about. And the ones he refers to in Matthew 6 are what am I going to wear and what am I going to eat, but we worry about all kinds of other things. And he says, take no thought. Have this mind in you which is in Christ Jesus. Take no thought saying, worrying. Now obviously you have to make plans and things like that, but he's talking about worrying. What, we're not going to have enough to eat. We're not going to do this. Worrying about the stuff of this life consumes our energy, destroys our faith, so that we're not in a place to allow God through us to do things that have eternal effects on eternal souls. Every person you see every day has an eternal soul on the inside of them. And that's how he saw people. Instead, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness on all these things you're worried about. God will take care of you. Earlier on, he says, don't you know God knows what you need before you ask him? He wants to meet your needs. God provided a garden full of everything Adam and Eve needed before he ever put them there. God wants to provide for your needs in abundance, but we've got to have His agenda first. Have this mind in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. So again, we'll go back to what Romans 12, 2 said. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't think the way the world thinks. You were trained in it. I was trained in it. But be transformed by changing how you think. And how do I think? I've got to learn to think the way Jesus thinks. When I get into a situation where I want to react, I ask myself, what would Jesus do? That was so popular years ago, but it is a good... We'll talk later about this year about this. What would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus handle... What would he think about this? What would he think about this? See, his character, if you're a Christian, his character and his nature are always in you, are already in you. We're talking about getting it to the outside where God can begin to use Jesus in you to touch and affect the lives of others. 
I believe we're going to see the power of God displayed here this year. But God will not pour that power out where the character's lacking. Because the power will cause us to get into pride. And the pride will destroy us. So we're in a training ground right now to lay a foundation so God can carry out His will. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today that You would entrust in us Your Son through the Holy Spirit. That You would have a vision for our lives that's so far beyond anything we could ever imagine ourselves. And Father, the church is living so far below what Your Word provides and what Your Word says we should be. But You're patient and You're gracious. And so we ask You, Father, as we're entering into this year and moving into it, that You would continue to be at work in us. That's our confidence. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our teaching and preaching. It's not in our programs. Our confidence is that it's You that's in work in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. And for that, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, we're going to be receiving the Lord's table together. But before we do that, I want to give anyone that may be here this morning that's never invited Christ into your life the opportunity to do that.